Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Open your Bibles to the Old Testament, Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Thank you uh, for choosing to come today. I think it's fitting that we start the new year in uh, 2023 together with God's people, with the family of God. And it gives us the opportunity to kind of set things in the right direction, in the right course. And what I want to encourage you today is this. Don't quit choosing to keep Jesus at the very beginning in the forefront of your life. That's the whole message. We can go home now. That you and I choose each and every day whom we will serve. We wake up in the morning and we make a choice. In fact, life is full of decisions, isn't it? I mean, we, we, we make all kinds of choices every day. We decide what we're going to wear. We decide what we're going to eat. We decide what time our coffee is going to start. We decide how many cups of coffee we will have. We choose to be on time for work or we choose to be late for work. And there are all kinds of things that happen, but the majority of our life are decisions that we make. And so the message today is this. In every decision, choose Jesus first. Joshua chapter 24 there's a passage here that I want to share with you. It's actually two passages, Joshua 24 and then 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And so I had in my mind what I wanted to say this morning because I knew it was the first of the year. And um, I was thinking through what passages I, I, would, I would open up. And these two passages came to mind and I believe the Lord gave them to me to share with you. But as sometimes happens, the passages say something different than what I wanted to tell you. So, of course, I have to tell you what the passage says, but here's the thing. It actually, the passage gets to the heart of what I wanted to tell you. What I wanted to tell you were the action steps, but the heart of the issue is much deeper because we can't really change our actions without knowing what's what the reason behind the action. And so, hold on to that. I promise you, I'll be a good preacher if you'll be a good listener, okay? Let's make a deal here. I'll preach well. I'll do my best. But you have to listen well, okay? Joshua chapter 24, verse 1. Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem and summoned Israel's leaders, elders, judges, and officers. And they presented themselves before God. So here's the scene. Joshua says to all of the people of Israel, come and meet me at Shechem. We're going to make a... A, a, a meeting that will end in a covenant. And so the entire nation comes to this place. And then he summons the elders, the leaders, the judges, the officers. And they presented themselves before the Lord. So this is, this is like a serious meeting. This is one of those moments in their life where they're going, hey, something good or bad is about to happen, right? And so they're all poised and ready for the next thing that the leader is going to say. And the very next thing that Joshua says, I think, is what will carry us and serve us well for 2023. Joshua says in verse 2, he said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. As you've already heard this morning, 
What God says is what really matters. What I say doesn't matter. What your friends say doesn't really matter. What all the talking heads on TV say don't really matter. What the social influencers say, it doesn't really matter. It's just opinion and speculation unless what they say is what the Lord says. Now you say, well, Jeff, how can you be so narrow-minded? How can you be so, 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 so tight on that? And it's really, for me, very simple. I choose to believe the author and the perfecter of faith. I choose to believe the one who said, let there be and there be. I choose to believe the one who spoke this world into existence. The one who did that is the one who knows how the world operates. There is nothing that you and I will face in 2023. There's nothing we face in 2022. There's nothing that we will deal with the rest of our lives that God has not already addressed. If you want to know how to have a marriage that's fulfilling and satisfying, a marriage that does not end in, in brokenness, but ends in joy and lasts as long as you both shall live, the way you find that marriage is by knowing what God says. All the marriage counselors in the world might have some decent advice, but what God says about what he created is what you ought to listen to. So if you ever hear advice that is separate or different from what God said, always default to what God says. Why? Because God is the one in Genesis uh, chapter 1, 2, and 3 who decided man shall not live alone. I'm going to make him a helper and out of him I'm going to bring this woman and I'm going to put the two together and the two shall become one. They will leave their father and mother and be married. That's what God did. And so if God started it, God knows how to keep it together. Amen? What does God say about my money? Well, listen, one thing you shouldn't do is follow the talking heads about your money. You know, there's, a, there's actually a, a fund that does the opposite of what Jim Cramer says. If y'all ever, ever follow any of these things, it's true. That somebody set up a fund that does the opposite of what this talking money head says. And the fund that does the opposite is doing way better than what you would do if you followed his advice. I don't know him personally. I'm just saying that all these talking heads about what you should do with your money, they might have some good advice, but if it's counter what God says about your money, you should listen to God first. Amen? How do we know this? Because God knows, it, actually not just because he knows, but because he owns all things. There is nothing that God does not own. Nothing. Bible tells us he owns all of the cattle on a thousand hills, and he owns the hills as well. So if it all belongs to him, if we're just stewards of what he's given us, then we do what God says and things will work out like God says they'll work out. What do you do about raising kids? Well, there's all kinds of people with all kinds of great advice about raising kids. Some of it's good advice. Some of it's stupid advice. There are some people in, in, uh, in history who have given parenting advice that is awful parenting advice. Awful. You can just imagine all these people who said, this is what you do with your kids. You ever had kids? Nope. Well, then close your mouth. <laughs> I mean, but here's the deal. God has given everything we need to know about raising kids. Now, he doesn't tell us how to, how to react. Actually, he does tell us how to react when the Legos are left on the floor and you have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Anybody had that fun yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Legos are from Satan. When it's night, the lights are out and you've got to walk to the bathroom. But, but, but God's given us instruction on how to raise our kids. 
We do it God's way, and it works. Anything in life that you need to know, the question that you need to ask is, what did God say? And then do what he says. So Joshua says, this is what the Lord... Now, you might say, Jeff, that's too simplistic. That's too easy. Life is more complicated than that. Folks, it's really not. Now, there are some nuances. You, you do have to know what he says, and, and you gotta, you, you got to sometimes figure out how what he says applies to certain situations. But it's really not more complicated than, Father, what is it that you said? Everything you need to know about everything in life you can find right here. Does anybody believe that today? Do you believe that? And so this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. And then he goes into this history lesson. Now remember, this is Joshua at Shechem. The entire Israelite people, all the leaders and the elders and the, uh, the, the, the ones who were, who were speaking uh, to the people and, and leading different groups. All the tribes are there. He says, this is what God says. And then he goes back and he gives them a history of their existence. He goes all the way back to the beginning and he says, long ago, <laughs> in, a, in a land, long, long ago, it was in a land, far, far away, right? He, he goes into this story and he says, long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the region beyond the Euphrates River. I led them throughout the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave the hill country of Seir to Esau as a possession. And then he goes on to say, Jacob and his sons, however, went down to Egypt. I sent Moses and Aaron and I defeated Egypt by what I did within it. And afterwards, I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you reached the Red Sea, the Egyptian pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen as far as, uh, as the sea. Your fathers cried out to the Lord. And so he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea over them, engulfing them. Your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And after that, you lived in the wilderness a very long time. So he's recounting the history. Now, listen, as the people are hearing Joshua speak. And remember, Joshua is saying this is what God is saying. So God is reminding the people through his leader, Joshua. As they're hearing this, they're, they're going, oh, yeah, I remember that story. Oh, yeah, I remember that story. Yeah, yeah, they knew who Abraham was. They knew who Tahor was. They knew the story of the sea parting. They knew all of these things because these were an, this was an oral tradition culture. They would have passed these stories down from generation to generation. And so they're listening to this and they're kind of, kind of checking off the list. Oh yeah, that's in my history. That's in my past. That's what I did. But something happens in this, in this, this, um, this, this conversation. Joshua, speaking for God, switches from forefathers to you. In other words, he says, this is what your ancestors did. Now, this is what you did. This is what your ancestors and your forefathers saw. Now, this is what you see. And I think it's important for us to realize that there's two things going on in every one. Or, or there, there's two realities, I guess, in every one of, our, uh, of us in our faith. 
The first reality is your faith didn't come to you simply because you woke up one day and said, you know what? I think I want to know Jesus. That's not how it happened. The truth is, there were forefathers, there were people before you who lived a faithful life of, 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 of Christianity. They, they followed Jesus. And their faithfulness was an example to you. And you may not have noticed it. You may not have been able to, to say, oh, I see what God is doing. But God was, was working in you through what you observed in them. Sometimes... In what they were doing to point you to Jesus. And sometimes in what they were doing to point you away from him. So the enemy was at work as well. So all of us have these forefathers in our life. And because of their faithfulness. You got to the point where God says. Now it's your turn to own this faith. And God draw, drew. If you know Jesus. He drew you into a relationship with himself. So you don't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I want to know Jesus. No, it's the Spirit's wooing. It's Him drawing you and it's Him calling you to Himself. Now, there is debate among scholars and theologians and pastors as to how much of a choice did you make and how much was it God's choice. We'll leave that to somebody to another time. But at the end of the day, it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of your works. So God drew you to Himself and there was this relationship that was formed or started. And because of that, you now have your own faith. So don't ever forget that somebody at some point in your life, and it wasn't somebody, it was somebody's. It might have been the stranger on the bus who was nice to you. When you were in third grade and everybody was picking on you, that one kid who was just different than everybody else chose to sat next to you and be kind. And they were demonstrating the kindness of the gospel in doing that. You may not have recognized it, but God was at work. Or it might have been that time when you heard the bad news of some tragedy in your life and there was a neighbor who came over with with a meal and they gave it to you and they just sat and listened for a little while you may not realize it but it was the kindness of God through that neighbor that he was drawing you to himself so God was at work in your life if you know Christ long before you ever saw it or realized it maybe it was that TV preacher that you saw only one time, you don't remember his name, you don't remember his sermon, but something he said in that few moments that you watched, it turned something on inside of you. And God used that as a seed to later on you'd be able to say, yes, I trust Jesus Christ. So Joshua was reminding them of their past. And he was saying that there are two parts in everybody's past as well. The one part is serving the Lord. The second part is idolatry. Every one of us wrestles with this. Is it true? Every one of us wrestles with idolatry. What's idolatry? We don't talk about this much anymore because that's an Old Testament thing. No, 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 no. Idolatry is as alive and well today as it's ever been. Why? Because an idol is anything that takes the rightful place of God in our life. An idol is no longer made of gold and silver and stone and wood. That's what they used to do. They used to fashion their own gods and they would set them up in their tents and they would, they would worship their gods. And they would also sometimes worship 
the God of gods. But for us, we don't make our own idols out of wood and gold. We make them out of other things. And this is where this text took a turn for me. See, when I was thinking about this morning, I wasn't intending to talk about idols. But what the text reveals is that idolatry is the foundation of our unfaithfulness. It's where our unfaithfulness comes from. Because we have this, this idol factory, as Tim Keller says, inside of our heart. We just keep producing idol after idol after idol. In other words, we make so many things more important in our life than God. And it's this never-ending struggle every single day. That's why choose you this day whom you will serve. Make a choice today. And then when you close your eyes at night and then you wake up again the next morning, you must make a conscious decision today. I choose Christ Jesus. Why? Because in the night while you slept, your heart was making another idol. It's like this, this factory that's 24 say, am I right? It's true. You say, well, what kind of idols do we have? Man, you name it, we got it. We have idols of people, entertainment, pleasure, success, work, church, family, self. Man, we'll make an idol out of everything in our life. And look, normally they're not bad things. Normally the idols, it's not made out of something that's bad. It's made out of something that's in the wrong place. Family is good until family is number one. Your family should not be number one. Because if your family is number one, then Jesus is number two. And Jesus never works as number two. He's not a number two kind of guy. He's either Lord or he's not. Amen? Now that's hard to hear, but here's the deal. If your family's number one, you're going to mess it up. And I'm going to mess it up. Because if, if my family's number one, I've made them into something that they could never truly fulfill in my life. It's the same thing with a job. It's the same thing with our... In fact, Henry Nouwen, the Dutch Reformed pastor, uh, in his writings and his teachings, he said, you know, there are five lies that we believe about our identity. There are five lies. And I'm going I'm to teach on this in a couple of weeks, I think. But there are five lies. See if these resonate with you. Lie number one. I am what I have. So your identity is in what you have. It's, it's the brand you wear. It's the style. It's the amount. It's the speed. Whatever. You know. And, you, and what you have. Could be, could be your cars. Could be your boats. Your planes. Your trains. You know. Could be your clothes. Could be, could be your house. Could be anything. Right? My, my identity is in what I have. That's a lie. Your identity is not in what you have. Because if it is, what happens when you don't have it anymore? Your identity has gone. Second lie. I am what I do. So what I do defines who I am. Listen, we live like that all the time, don't we? Here's how that works. I did well. I, I, I was obedient. God loves me. I did wrong. 
was disobedient. God's not too happy with me. You know how you know when you get out of that thinking? It's when your sin does not change your understanding of God's love for you. That's when you know you've truly understood grace. And until you get to that point, you don't understand grace. Because grace says you've, you've been given what you don't deserve anyways. So my love for you is not because you earned it. My love for you is because I choose to love you. It's unearned. It's, it's unmerited favor with God. Here's the third lie. I am what people say and think about me. Whew. That's a tough one, ain't it? Now, let's just keep those three at the top, okay? There's two more. I'll share those. If you're living your life based on what you have, what you do, and what people say and think about you, you are never truly at peace. And you are never truly satisfied. And neither am I. Why? Because those are things that we cannot truly control. In fact, let me ask it a different way. Do the details of your life, those things, do the details of your life serve you or do you serve them? In other words, all the details of your life, do, do you find yourself living so that those details happen? Or do those details happen because you're living? It's a, different, it's a different way of seeing it. It's a different way of living. If the details serve you, that's what they should do. Like, I eat because I need energy. As opposed to, I eat because I can't control myself. Put a donut and we'll see how that works, right? I, in, in, in every area of your life. Okay, so those are the three big lies. Here are, the, here are the next two that are a little bit more harder to kind of pin down. But I think they're true nonetheless. The fourth thing that Henry Nouwen says is this. He says, the lie that we believe is that I am the worst day of my life. So the worst thing you've done, the, the baddest you've ever been, not like bad, but bad, right? The, 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 the worst you've ever been, that that's the measure of your life. That's a person who lives in guilt and shame and brokenness because they cannot see that God's grace is able to forgive and cover over even that thing. And so when they look in the mirror, all they see is that event or that moment or that day or that period of time. And grace says, no, that's not who you are. You've been bought with the price. Not with silver and gold that you've been redeemed from an empty way of life. But you've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without spot or blemish. Invaluable. Worth more than any and all silver or gold. So you're not, you're not, the, you're not the worst day of your life. And the fourth, fifth one is kind of like it. But it's the other extreme. That you are the best day of your life. In other words, whatever that best day was, you're always trying to attain that as well. Both of those leave you empty and hungry, don't they? 
Because your worst day was the worst and your best day was the best. But most life, most of life is lived right here in the middle, right? Does that make sense? Here's the thing. Choose you this day. As Joshua is teaching, is, is teaching these people, he's saying, look at your forefathers, how they lived and what they did. They started off with idols and God rescued them out of that. He was kind to your forefathers. He gave them a, a name and a place and a home. And if you go all the way into Genesis chapter 12, you'll see that that's what God did. God said to Abraham, Abraham, listen, you've been wandering. You've been, you've been kind of going here and there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a home and a place and a name. And I'm going to give you a, a, a descendant uh, history that is more than the number of people you could ever count. In other words, God says, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless you because you are going to be a blessing to all of the world. Listen, what if, and I don't think that, and that's not really a, a question, that's a statement. What if God said to my people, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be faithful in what I've said I will do. And as I bless you, that blessing is going to be both for you and for your children and for your children's children. And it's going to be for everybody that you're around. Hey, there are verses that support that. See, a, a, a light uh, on, on a hill cannot be hidden, right? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. See, all of these things Jesus said, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing Meaning, so that you will show people who I am. That's what God is all about. He said, your history demonstrates both idolatry and faithfulness. And then he says, you yourself have been both faithful and unfaithful. And I would say to you, and I'm looking in the mirror, that you have been both faithful and unfaithful to God. If you're a follower of Jesus, that has been your life. Am I right? There have been times when you've been terribly faithful. You've been on point and, and you were just right there with him. And there have been times that you've been far, far away. Here's the good news. Today is a brand new day. Today you get to choose whom you will serve. And I'm not asking you to choose it for tomorrow. I'm asking you to choose it for today. To sit up and say, Jesus, I choose to serve you today. I choose for you to be Lord of my life today. Now listen, I'm not talking about your position in Christ. I'm talking about the way that you live in your position in Christ. I'm talking about being who you are. I'm talking about representing the name on the jersey on the back well. You know, for a, if, if you look at a baseball team, it's interesting because some will have the name on the back. And some will have no name but just a number. I don't know if this is true, but I'd like to think that the reason that the name on the back is not there is because there's a name on the front, and that's really all that matters. The Yankees are one of the teams I'm thinking of. If I'm not mistaken, if you look at the back of their jerseys, you've got a number, but you don't have a name. Is that right? Maybe I'm mistaken, but anyways, just pretend it's the case. By the way, I always had trouble when I had a jersey. Spoonie burger, it went from cheek to cheek, all the way around. When I was a little one, man, I had to leave my shirt untucked or I was poony book. That's all you see. If I tucked it in, you couldn't see the whole name. Like, and up to bat, poony book. Who's this kid? Pull it out. Oh, I see that. Choose you this day. And so 
in, in verse 7, there's a shift in what he's telling the, the, the history of. And he says, you have been both faithful and unfaithful. And then in verse 14, he comes across and he says, or actually, let's go back up to verse 11. I don't want to skip this part. He says, you then crossed the Jordan, came to Jericho. Jericho's citizens, as well as the Amorites, the Perizzites, and all those other ites, they fought against you. He's reminding them of their distant past. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about the moment in which God demonstrated his overwhelming goodness and power and gave them a city that was not theirs, the city of Jericho. Now, do you remember the story? You just go back a few chapters and you'll see it. Joshua said to the people of God, God said that Jericho is ours. They said, okay, let's take the city. What's the plan? Joshua said, time out. Let me go ask God what the plan is. God, uh, Joshua goes back and gets the plan. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. All right, people, here's the plan. You ready? Here it is. Tomorrow morning, we're going to walk around the city one time. Okay, and then what? That, that's it. Okay, okay. I guess we're going to scare them. What are we going to do after that? The next day, we're going to walk around the city one more time. And he says, for six days, we're going to walk around the city one time a day. And I'm imagining that the Israelites are looking around going, I don't know who this guy is, but apparently he's never fought in a war before. But just walking around the city ain't the smartest idea, right? And then, then Joshua says, but on the seventh day, the people are like, yeah, this is where it gets really good. This is where we're going to go bust some heads, right? On the seventh day, we're going to walk around the city seven times and we're going to sing. I'm thinking the macho men around the, 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 the group are going, Our plan is to sing them into submission. That's, that's, the plan of, that's the plan of God. Now I want you to think about this. Just think about how humiliating that could have been. God's great plan for conquering the city of Jericho was for the people to march around seven times on the seventh day and blow their trumpets and sing. And shout. Anybody in their right mind who knows anything about warfare would know that is a horrible plan. God was showing them the way he works. It is not by might and it is not by power. But it's by my spirit, says the Lord. You can try and try and try to fix all the problems in your life. Is You can try day and night, but you will not truly fix anything until you get on God's schedule and God's plan and do what God says. And a lot of times what he says makes no sense whatsoever. And then you do it and you go, wow, that sure worked out a whole lot better than I thought it would. Ever, ever happened to you in your life? Sometimes what you ought to do is just step back and leave it alone. I could tell you some stories about that. So here's the thing. On the seventh day, they marched around seven times. Then they blew the trumpets and they sang to the Lord and they shouted to the Lord. And God 
destroyed the walls. They crumbled down. And the people inside of the city basically started killing themselves. You had to believe that the Israelites were looking around going, didn't see that coming. Jeb. Joshua's reminding them of this truth, and I want to remind you of this truth in the beginning of this new year. Here's the truth. As soon as I can find it, my eyeball... Oh, I'm on the wrong chapter. Time out. Okay, here we go. Now we're good. Here's the truth. I sent hornets ahead of you. That means he sent terror and fear into the other camp. The enemy's camp was defeated because God sent terror and fear into their hearts. Only God could do that. Marching around the city was not terrifying. It was a work of God that inflicted fear inside of them and caused them great chaos inside the city. He sent it ahead of them and they drove out the two Amorite kings before you and it was not by your sword or your bow. I gave you a land, listen, this should be your, your theme verse for the year. I gave you a land you did not labor for and cities you did not build, though you live in them. You are eating from vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Can we just take a moment and let that sink in a moment? You are living in vineyards. And you were eating olives that you did not grow or plant, but God gave them to you. Amen? God has blessed you. If he has blessed you, then he alone deserves your praise. Verse 13 Leads us to verse 14, which says, therefore. And I love the word therefore, because it's always a transition word. The word therefore tells us all that I just said is so I can tell you what I'm about to tell you. So your history, your forefathers, your own life, their, their idolatry, your idolatry, their faithfulness, your faithfulness. This, this life that's been confused as to whom you will serve uh, you, you've received what you didn't earn or grow, but God's given it to you anyways. Therefore, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And then the next verse, I like what he says. He says, now, but listen, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then go ahead and pack up and move. Just, just go ahead and go on. What's he saying there? He's saying, look, if you don't have enough already for Jesus to be Lord in your life, you're not going to find it. I mean, if you can't already see that God has been good and that God has blessed you and that God has been pursuing you, if that's not enough for you, you're never going to get it. No, you're never going to get it. Okay, I know you're going to do that. You're never going to find it if you haven't found it yet. What more do you need? Amen? What more do you need? says, if, if, if serving the Lord seems undesirable for you, then go serve the other gods that you want to serve. Listen, if serving Jesus is not what you want, then go serve money. Go do it. Go serve your job. Go do it. 
Go serve your family. Go do it. But I can tell you what God says about that. He says it'll leave you poor, pitiful, and broken. Because it always has. He says, but. I love this. But no matter what you do. Me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Folks, listen. It doesn't matter what the person next to you does. I mean, it does because you're part of a family here, but it doesn't matter if they choose Jesus or not in your life. What really matters is who will you choose? This is not a this is not a vote. Hey, guys, uh, let's take a vote. We'll decide whoever has the majority rule. Then we'll decide who's going to serve. No, no, no. I will serve Jesus whether you do or whether you don't do. And you will serve Jesus, I hope, whether the person next to you does or the person next to you doesn't. Why? Because when you stand before the Father, they won't be there to vouch for you. God's not going to ask them about your life. God is going to say to you, what have you done with the life that I have given you? Well, I made a lot of money. Yeah, you were rich in things, but you were poor towards God. Well, I had, I had a lot of social media influence. And you led people to themselves, not to the gospel. Well, I had a good family. And your family is lost without Jesus. Because you never spoke about what was truly important. When it comes to kingdom things. All of these things you and I have to deal with in our own heart of hearts. So here's my question. Whom will you serve? Good question, isn't it? All right. So what do you do about it? You all ready to go home? I'm ready to go home. Let me give you a real quick what I'm, gonna, what I'm doing about it and what I'm, what I'm going to continue to do. Let me just offer it to you as a little bit of helpful advice. There are three piles in my life. Okay? I want to invite you to make three piles in your life. This pile over here is the keep pile. It's the stuff that, that moves you towards Jesus. It's the, it, it's the things that, that, that are, are, are conforming you to the image of, of who he is. By the way, the passage I should have read to you before I said that statement was 1 Corinthians 10. And the context of 1 Corinthians 10 is as well. A warning against Israel's past. That's the title if you look in the Bible. But it's dealing with idolatry in the past, right? So we're consistent here. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Here's what we're supposed to do. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Do everything for the glory of God. That's the goal. That everything in your life is to be done for the glory of God. So how do we do it? Three piles. Number one, the keep pile. These are the things that I can do and, that, and, and, and that, that lead me towards knowing Christ Jesus more and making him know more. This pile over here is the chunk pile, right? You know, the throwaway pile. These are the things that aren't helping you to serve Jesus. 
These are not always bad things. Some of them are, but not all of them. Some of them are just good things that aren't helping you. They're not serving your cause. It's like the empty calories of iceberg lettuce. I mean, you can eat it, but why fill yourself with stuff that's not going to help you, right? Nobody caught that? Yeah, right? I'm going to eat something. Give me something with flavor and, 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 and energy, right? It's this middle pile, though, that's kind of the hardest. This middle pile is the store away pile. It's what you do with your Christmas decorations. You pull them out at December, Christmas time, or some of you do that in October, I guess. But you pull them out when it's time to have them. But after they're done, you put them back in the box and you shove them in the attic. Because you don't need them in your life until the next Christmas comes along. So what I'm doing in my life and what I'm encouraging you to do is this. Make a keep pile. and the keep pile, you should add to it. Do more of those things that are good. The chunk pile. Get rid of the stuff that's not helping you. And the store away, just put some things on hold. Put them aside. What are we doing? We're trying to prioritize doing everything we do for the glory of God. May I add also that that works for organizing your house as much as it does in organizing your heart. Right? So this morning, the ball is now in your court. I'm choosing for me and my family. You must choose for you and yours. Some of you are part of a family that aren't, it's not a believing family. You're the only person in your family that has any kind of faith at all. That is a hard position to be in. But I want you to consider this. God has brought you into his kingdom. But he's kept you in your family. So that you can be a light on a hill. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that you are the gospel to your family in that situation. And your prayer and my prayer would be that one day that gospel would spread and your whole family would know the hope of Christ. Because God called you first. There are people in this church who have changed and are changing generations to come because of your faithfulness. There are also people who are changing generations to come away from the Lord because of unfaithfulness. That's it. That's within your power to do. What you do really does matter. Will you close your eyes and bow your head with me for just a moment? I want to invite you to take this passage and apply it to your own heart. Identify areas of idolatry. Identify areas of faithfulness. And ask God this one question. God, what do you want from me today? What do you want from me today? Now simply yield to him. And say yes. In fact I would even go a step further. And say God my answer is yes. Before I even know what you want from me. Because God I trust you. I've seen you work. You're a good God. My answer is yes. Yes yes. And yes again. Father I pray that this day. You would help us. To recognize the goodness. And the grace that comes from your throne. God, I pray that today for anybody in this 
place, anybody listening online or on TV, Lord, I pray that if they don't have a relationship with Jesus, that right now, right now, you would draw them unto yourself. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're about done for, the, for the, our time together, but we don't ever like to end without an opportunity to respond in a way that uh, gives us a chance to do what God calls us to do. So here's what the response is. You have a place that you can come and pray if you want to come and pray. In a moment, we're going to stand, and as we're singing, as we're worshiping, we have the Lord's table. So this is communion. We have the bread and the, the cup. It's an opportunity for us to proclaim the gospel, not just to each other, but to ourselves. As you are taking these elements, remember that Jesus' body was broken for you. His blood was spilled for you. You were bought with the price. Therefore, honor God with your body, with your life. So in just a moment when we stand, I invite you to pray. I invite you, if you want to come in, I'll pray with you if you want. And then as you're ready, come and take the elements. The small, the small one is gluten-free. The bigger one is the regular stuff. If you need gluten-free, that's the small one on the right. But let's celebrate this together. And then we'll close the rest of the day. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.